Welcome to episode 442, which is a replay of a best of episode, one of the listeners' favorites from 2011 with uh, my guest, Teresa Strasser. It's also one of my favorites. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. If you've never tried online counseling, I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, just go to BetterHelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental so that they know that you came from this podcast. And then just fill out a questionnaire and they'll match you up with a BetterHelp.com counselor if they feel that they have one that is a good fit for you. And then you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you. And I love doing it. I love not having to leave my house to do therapy. And I love my therapist. And you need to be uh, over 18, but I highly recommend it. Uh, I want to tell you guys about a podcast. Uh, we mentioned it last week, and he's been a guest on the show here. I'm, I've been a guest on his show, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Uh, it, while it might have a slightly different approach to the same goal that this podcast does, which is personal growth, uh, it is filled with practical advice uh, for not only personal growth, but but uh, professional growth as well. It's a Apple Top 50 podcast and uh, was among Apple's best of 2018. Uh, the Jordan Harbinger show covers topics like, uh, well, there's a guest who is an FBI hostage negotiator, and he teaches how to establish trust. Uh, there's neuroscientists, uh, Navy SEALs tell us how to develop resilience and mental toughness, uh, and amazing stories from people who have lived them, from crazy kidnapping stories and going undercover uh CIA agents, illusionists who can seemingly program our brains, basically anything that will help you upgrade your brain so you can become a high performer both at home and at work. I think you guys would uh, would really dig it. And uh, also every episode has a worksheet so you can make sure you're internalizing and applying what you learn from the guests. So you deserve to be extraordinary, search for The Jordan Harbinger Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and start taking your life to the next level. And the URL for it is jordanharbinger.com slash iTunes. Although uh, I understand that will be changing shortly because iTunes is splitting into Apple Podcasts, Apple Music, and uh, Apple TV. But um, if you go to jordanharbinger.com, I'm sure you can... F- get more info, and it's uh, J-O-R-D-A-N-H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R. And here now is that episode with Teresa Strasser from 2011. Everybody I know is bizarrely, beautifully fucked up in some weird way. I couldn't stand you in the audition. I couldn't stand you. Yes, awful. I was drunk. And I learned that I could solve my problems. And said. Through violence, since I couldn't communicate. Lonely? Yes. I'm afraid that my genitalia is ugly. That's hurtful. And what was your role in the robbery? I mean, you never knew what you were going home to. I had a jar that had teeth in it. I was a wreck. Other people's teeth? Yeah. I'm here with Teresa Strasser, who I met, uh, well, I guess it would have probably been about six years ago. Uh, you were Adam's sidekick on the Adam Carolla show on uh, one of the FM stations here in town in Los Angeles. And uh, we just kind of immediately, I don't know about you, but I just kind of immediately felt an affinity for you. That was totally unilateral. I didn't, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> No, I I know exactly what you're talking about. You were having a rough day when I went in there. Yes. I think you and Dave Damashek might have gotten into it or was something. Was it that day? Uh, yeah, it was. Oh my God, it yeah. was. Yeah. 
Wow. That, I mean, you, you or, or it was within a day of that. Yes. But, but that it was, was a rough day. it was, and, and you were, you were trying to keep it together and my heart just went out to you. And I think we had a little conversation in the break room, even though I didn't know you. Um, I don't know. We just kind of, we just kind of clicked. Uh, I remember this now. I think I, it's a recovery memory because yeah. that was so traumatic. And now I recall just a friendly face and also a male. Yes. Who wasn't there? There was a bunch of guys there, mm. and I a were, very, very alpha male environment. There were no, essentially no no women. There was producer yeah. Angie and mm. and who's great and me, and so um, it was really intense. And I've worked in all male environments a lot in my mm. career, and I I enjoy it. It just something about that moment in time felt very much like uh, I felt really vulnerable. And for people who don't know, which is probably everybody, because who gives a shit by now? But <clears throat> a male coworker on the Adam Carolla show, who I'm, I'm very friendly with now. That's all, um, what is it? Blood, under the bridge. Blood water, under the bridge. Water under the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> Pus under the Wait, wound. bile under yeah. the bridge. Yeah. Uh, no, it's really fine. And it's just, we had, there was, an, there was an unfortunate incident during a commercial break during our live radio show. And he's that kind of a bigger guy. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> we kind of got into it. And... Uh, he told me to go fuck myself. <laughs> it was very unexpected and sort of in a, it was, I physically, I felt a little bit threatened. Yeah. And I, I was scared, but more emotionally, when someone yells at me, I just shut down. I just shut down. And, and you were the new person in the, I was brand new. Yes. I was replacing a woman who had been the sidekick. So I didn't really know anybody. And as it turned out, the producer had kind of stirred up a fight between us because that makes good radio and it, and it worked, mm-hmm. right? So there really wasn't a, an honest beef between us. It was like, did you say this about me? Yeah. Why don't you go fuck yourself? You know, it was that. Yeah. And, and, and then... And he was probably <clears throat> thinking that... Because if you say that to, to guys, that's a game that guys play. That's guys, guys do that with each other. You know, we let the steam out. We bag on each other and right. we get verbally aggressive. Yes. I some, learned Some that. guys, not all guys. Well, but, yeah, I yeah. learned that on that job because, you know, I took a few punches. And at a certain point, a guy who worked on, on that show, Bald Brian, who was then the phone screener, he pulled me aside and said, look, if you weren't getting shit, that would mean no one liked you. That's right. how we do. Exactly. And I went, oh, this is you guys accepting me? Yes. It hurts a lot, but thank you. Yeah. Okay, I'll take it. And, um, you know, that was rattling because then we, we went on the air, and I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but I'm a crier. And it what happens, it's very physiological. I can be sort of like you stub your toe, and then you know you're not still stubbing your toe, but your toe still hurts. Like, I'll get over something, and then my body is still crying about it. Like mm-hmm. I can't, and I can't, sometimes I... It's I like there's an emotion that, that lingers. Yes, it lingers. So I... Your crying has a long, delicate finish. <laughs> like very like a oaky, wine. Very oaky. It has top notes of despair <laughs> with a strong, pathetic finish. Some tannins. Um, yeah, so that's exactly it. It has a long, long, like a cheap um, red wine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that, um, that we went back on the air and I knew I was going to cry just the way, you know, 
anything biological is going to happen to your body. Like you can you feel know, it. Yeah. You can feel it coming like a big shit coming on. You're Could, like, not oh, going to no. stop it. It's not going to get out of its way. This thing is a locomotive yeah. and Denzel Washington and that other guy are on <laughs> it and they don't know how to stop it. So I knew I was going to cry. And in the back of my mind, I thought I can go in the bathroom and save my dignity and probably save face or I can just cry on the air which is going to make this a better show. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I knew I was going to cry, so I sort of chose to cry on the air because that was the more interesting thing to do. And it sort of changed that show, I think, because instead of it becoming about gags and bits, it became more about the relationships between the people, which I personally find more interesting and dynamic. Me but, too. Um, Me too. So I couldn't stop crying. I, I mean, I think I cried for a straight hour on the air, and then this guy's mom called in to yell at him for being rude, and then Adam made him broadcast from the bathroom as a punishment, which was smelly, and it turned out to be uh, an, an entertaining show, but it, I was devastated. Yeah. Devastated. Mostly because I was embarrassed about the crying, even though I did I did choose to cry on right. the air on, on but, some but level. But you didn't fake an emotion. You just no. decided when to let it out, which I, which I think is an honest. Well, was I going to be in the bathroom for an hour right. crying? I, I mean, once I start, I'm it's I'm gonna I'm gonna cry a long time probably. Yeah. Even after I feel better, like and I knew it was okay and I was fine. I didn't feel that bad anymore. But my body was just going to keep crying until whatever was out. Yeah. And, and I think I was there then the next day because there was a tension in there that that was uh, that was palpable, was, and, and you uh, could st- and you were still a little. Well, I got called fragile. into the boss's office. Do you want us? Do you want us to fire that guy? Because they were they were worried. They were covering their own asses, so they wanted to make sure I was cool, right? And otherwise, they were going to fire this guy because they didn't want me to say that it was a hostile workplace or any of that shit. And I said, I'm absolutely fine. And then I remember the next day my agent called and she said, do you want me to get you out? Should I get you out? Do you want me to get... No, there's no way. Like that's not... I, I will not that's be That's the last out. person you want to be is also the person that if, if there's a problem, clear everybody they out. They sue or they go whatever. Like yeah. if you're going to cry on the air and it's at least going to be amusing for people from a schadenfreude perspective, fine. But if you can't handle, you know, taking a punch, then you probably shouldn't be... Um, doing radio and i i think i'm in a certainly not on adam carolla's show yes and i am in a i kind of um i'm i'm straddling because on the one hand i can take a punch on the other hand it hurts like fuck so it's not like i take the punch and go well whatever i'm lisa lampanelli right no it hurts yeah i feel it yeah but i just keep and by the way she her feelings are always hurt after yeah what am i talking about that's that's not even a good comparison because she's actually really um has a soft chewy center yeah According to her, she does, which yeah, makes sense to me. I, I think most people that dish it hard uh, have a do it because it keeps the, the focus off of of them, so well, they don't get hurt. I think that's why she can get away with it is because I think it's you sense on some level that she's not a malignant person. I met mm. her a few times because she was a guest Super on Adam's sweet. show. Oh my god, the nicest and yeah. really open about her struggles. You know, with her weight and, um, you know, going into rehab for her weight. Just very open. And I just, I love hearing her as a guest on shows. And Mm -hmm. I think she's really talented. But let's get to, uh, let's get to you. Teresa Strasser, Ugh, what a uh, you have a book out called Exploiting My Baby, which when I heard the title, I was like, I know I'm going to love this book. And I just finished it last night and I did love it. It is, uh, it is a great book. It is brutally honest. I can say assuredly there is nothing else like it out there. It is, it is original. 
you craft some gorgeous sentences. Uh, I had no idea that you were uh, the writer that uh, that you are. Um, and you should be really proud of it. I hope you are. I know that you're, you wish the, the sales were more than they are, but I think... Great that, reviews. Well, great reviews. Five stars the on sales, Amazon, which almost sales, not so. almost no yeah, books have five stars on Amazon. That was really nice, and and you know the LA Weekly gave it a good review, and Vanity Fair made it one of their top picks, which for a pregnancy memoir is unusual. So that was really nice, but um, you know my heart was kind of broken because it wasn't a bestseller, mm-hmm. and you know there's like the way I was raised, you get an A plus or you know. Go home. Go home. What's the yeah. point? And even if you get an A plus, well, that's what I expected you to right, do. Right. So good for you. Let's let's talk about that a little bit because your your childhood uh, was not pretty. It uh, you your parents divorced when you were three. Yeah, three. And you were left in the custody of originally your mother, uh, right? Well, in the beginning, it was your mother. My dad legally got custody, and that was very okay. unusual then mm-hmm. uh, for dads to get full custody. Not and, wh- joint. And, and why? Why was that? They just gave you to your mom because yeah. they just thought then you know this was in 1974. They just thought moms are better. Moms should have the kids. That was really the default setting in in family court. And my dad got custody, which means my mom must have not really made a great case for uh, being a parent. Which makes sense uh, as you read more of your book. Yeah. You. But my dad gave me back to my mom. So so my brother and I but were that split was... in an awesome parenting move. Right. <laughs> one of their one of their greatest hits was they thought you know what's great for siblings who are a year and a half apart and have never known anything other than being with each other all the time and whose parents are now getting divorced and moving to two different cities. Let's. Let them apart. Let's put them each in a single housing unit. Let's put them in the shoe. Let's put them in the shoe so that they can lose that sibling bond forever. And now we're like cousins. Yeah. I love the guy, but I didn't grow up in the same house as he did, so I'll never really have that. So they. So what happened was my dad got us, and then he was overwhelmed. He had two kids. He was running. He's a mechanic. He was running a garage for you know six days a week, and he just didn't know. He, and then he got involved with my stepmonster, who was. A, a really he she was a monster she yeah. was a horrible monster and i've written plenty about her and i won't bore people but she can, i don't think it's i don't think it's boring i think people okay. would want to know um she was the fairy tale evil stepmother i mean she give us, was give, give us some slices i always ask my yeah, guests how dark give, you want to go we we go as dark as you got it on this on this show the darker the darker i might cry that's all good here is something i've only started talking about recently because it's really creepy and i get afraid to creep people out but i told my husband the other day and he wasn't that creeped out he was angry on my behalf and i like that so my dad hooked up with carol who was nine years older and he was lost he had two kids he was 30 with with uh, a three-year-old and a five-year-old uh, running a business and he just was lost he meets this woman who's a lot older and she's in therapy school which to the day she died she never pe- completed mm-hmm. so she was always taking courses in becoming a therapist so she had some sort of gravitas because she had taken some classes right. and she had read some fucking books she had yeah. a lot of self-help books on, right. the, on the shelf um, she had three kids they were teenagers they were already all fucked up one of them's th- this were they is- in the house with you when they moved in together, yes. Um, the, the eldest, a real big guy, like six foot five with schizophrenia that was just coming on at that time. So that was pretty scary. And then two girls, one of which 
later became, for lack of a better, this she a, a crack whore. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one just a. Just um, Mary lives in the suburbs, and she's just not, um, not, not very nice. But can you blame her? Because that was her mother. Anyway, she moved in, and she convinced my dad that he should give me back to my mom because um, she had been molested by her dad. And she was an expert on uh, human behavior because she took a classic community college. <laughs> and she said she convinced my dad that um, because he and I were very close – that he was in danger of molesting me and that she could see signs that the relationship, you know, was untoward. And so for my own good, he should give me back to my mom. And he was scared and he didn't know anything. Now, mind you, this kind of thing doesn't come out of the blue in a family, right? Right. A guy that has no history of sexual abuse, like that was never going to happen, you know? People in my family are really fucked up, mainly from bipolar and other kinds of Ashkenazi Jew things, but they don't molest each other. That's just not a thing they do, just like they don't drink. There's things they do, things they don't. So in my heart of hearts, I know that she, because she was molested by her own father, that to see a father and daughter interacting together and we were really tight, it just was something she couldn't have. So she had to get rid of me. And that was her way of doing it. She did it. I mean, she she vanquished a three year old. Wow! Yeah, so it's I not hard to vanquish. No, I mean candy from a baby. But so then I went to live with my mom, who had who had moved to Chicago. She moved back to take me when my dad and it was going to be temporary. Like you're gonna let's try this for a couple months, and then um, I never went went back, mainly because I didn't want to be with Carol. But my brother stayed there. And I went to live with my mom in San Francisco. And at that time, I hadn't seen her for six months because she was, I mean, I'd seen her here and there, but she had moved away. And she was really, really a stranger. I didn't know who she was. I felt she was, and she's kind of just cold. She's not, she's not real maternal. She's not a hugger. So all of a sudden, one day, she picks me up. And I remember like driving away. And my dad always tells this story that it was the most heartbreaking moment of his life is seeing me look out the window with my pigtails my freckles and with just a tear kind of like trying oh, to keep my shit together because I didn't want to go with my mom because she was cold and weird and a stranger. And so I, then, uh, I and you're leaving your brother, leaving my brother, you know, who was kind of violent toward me just cause he was a five year old boy. Uh, but he was all I knew he and my dad. And, um, so I went with my mom and, um, I remember very distinctly being, in, she had painted my room and she, you know, gone to some effort and she gave me some hot chocolate with marshmallows in it. And I was very happy about that. And then um, eating disorder for the rest of my life. So there you go. <laughs> Here's some marshmallows. That's the only thing you have that's going to make this go away. You know who loves you? Marshmallow. <laughs> that's it. You know what's warm? Cocoa. <laughs> you, know, you know what you can grab in your hands that's real? You know, uh, I just want to back up for a second because this this is, I always like to compare notes and inject myself wherever I can into Please the podcast because <laughs> it's, it's my fucking podcast. No, and that's what I like about it when you do that. Yeah, but um, one of my favorite memories of my dad, my dad was, was a cold person. When people would come over to the house, my friends, like when we were 
you know, eight, ten years old, my friends would always say, why is your dad mad at me? And I would say, that's just my dad's face. That's just, he was at you the end of the couch. You had a scary dad. He, he, he didn't express anger. He was just in his head. He was an untreated alcoholic who just wanted to shut the world out and be with his thoughts and watch the Cubs. Right. Um, he, but, but he wasn't outwardly angry. He was just a, he was just shut off, just completely shut off. But one of my favorite things about him when I was a kid would be when it would be time to go to bed, he would carry me upstairs. And we lived in a two-story house, and I always remember, you know, he would be carrying me, and, I, and I'd have my arms around him, and as we'd, we'd walk up the stairs, there was this part where the ceiling got low, and I would always touch my hand on that part of the ceiling. And it was just a nice ritual. And he would tuck me in, and it was my favorite memory of my dad. And for some reason, he just stopped doing that, and I never understood why. And my mom told me years later that she asked him to stop doing it because she was afraid that he was going to molest me because he was his drinking had gotten worse. Wow. Wow. And I was like, wow, that's so fucked up that, that why she would extrapolate to that place just because somebody's where was drinking she coming from a family where that happened. Um, she, I don't know that she was ever molested. She came from a really, really fucked up. You don't just come up with that idea. Like yes. that's not an idea that would dawn on me about my husband or anybody yeah. else. Cause that's just not part of my story. Right. However, I think if it is like you spot it, you got it. You start right. to see it everywhere. I think I, my dime store opinion is that my mom had, because my dad wasn't there emotionally and I kind of became the savior, the the fill-in husband right. emotionally, I think my mom had some feelings towards me that weren't appropriate. And I don't think they were ever conscious in her brain. Right. But my mom did, did cross a lot of boundaries with me. Um, with the touching it, your butt. See, I yes, listen. yes. And, and so, but it it just, it made me so sad that that one part of, my relationship with my dad went away for no reason. Like the only thing he was doing that was that good was that made me feel got. safe and got the shit on. And the ceiling. Like kids need ritual yeah. so desperately, especially yeah. if you're living in a chaotic alcoholic household that I yeah. can only assume it was, it was pretty chaotic. So even if it's just I touch this spot on the ceiling every, every night, night, I need that. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the container uh, that I can, you know, bump up against. Yeah. That's something yeah. that I can depend on. And also, whenever I see a parent carrying a child, there's just something so beautiful because the child is just a limp and sleepy. And, you know, you only get carried a certain amount in life. Yes. And then it's over. Yeah. And then no one's going to carry you to bed unless you're, you know, uh, passed out. Unless it's bad. Right. It's bad after a certain <laughs> yes. point if somebody's carrying you because you usually have one yeah. shoe. Yeah. But it's the, it's the greatest feeling in the world feeling completely enveloped and protected by yeah, a parent. And, and yeah, there comes a point where that you need to move away from that and right. grow up and be on your own and discover how painful the real world is and all that stuff. But it just kind of sucks when that gets well, so needlessly sudden. needlessly cut short. So yeah. I, I, I apologize if that was a self-indulgent for me to inject that. But um, I Would you I like, like me to, to pick you up right now and carry you? Because <laughs> my son's room got a nice crib. I will carry you if and this, sing you. If this were video, here? I would absolutely. <laughs> just to watch your knees buckle. I can. You'd be surprised. I mean, yeah. my son's re really big. You met my husband. He's a, he's a, yeah, he's, he's a tall a, guy. A tall guy. So my son's 
big for his age. He probably weighs like 37 pounds. I have no problem. That's why God gave women hips. Yeah. I just put them right on my hip. Mm. I never, he always wants down. He mm. always wants down because he wants to run. Sure. You he's know, a little but boy. I love carrying him. I could carry I him on my hip all till he's 25. Yeah. And how old is Nate? It's Nate, Two. right? Yeah. 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 Um, so getting back to, uh, you went to live with your mom, and your mom yeah. was was a, she lived in San Francisco, and she was uh, kind of uh, in the early fem, fem, feminist kind of. Yeah, uh, it was like, let's talk about vaginas, let's be in encounter groups, and this is how groovy, okay? She owned a coffee shop in the hate called Sacred Grounds. That's for real. And we had a beat poet named Max living in our garage for 10 years. Who was huge. He was huge. Real thing. Uh, Jim Morrison was his college roommate and took all this video of Max, the beat poet, and his girlfriend having sex. And that, for some reason, it's it's some sort of famous video because I think Jim Morrison was going to be a filmmaker at some point. Maybe they were at, at UCLA. I might yes, he was. Yeah. yeah, I think that's how, th- that's how they roommate. met. Max yes. Wow, yes. what a small world. Yeah, so my mom was supporting the arts by having Max live in our garage. But it's weird when you're a kid and, you know, like the garage door would be flung open and there's Max on his dilapidated lawn chair, a couple of his teeth missing, you know, like a bad piano. Really? You know what I mean, where some of the keys aren't. <laughs> yeah, and then always doing the poems. So I'm coming home with a friend from Brandeis Hillel Hebrew Day School, uh, where I was like a scholarship kid. And I, I'm coming home with a friend, just like hoping nothing to- too weird oh. is happening at my house. And there's Max. Snap, snap, snap. Look at you. You've got a friend. <laughs> Two little girls. End to end. I just, oh God, let's go, let's go. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Keep it moving. And then that was unfortunately never the weirdest yeah. thing because my mom never wore pants. What? Yeah, why should she wear pants just to make you comfortable? She doesn't feel like wearing pants in her house. She wore underpants, but no pants. Still does not wear pants. Just undies around the house. Have to ring the doorbell or knock and yell up the stairs, Mom, someone's here. Put on your pants. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. Hilarious if it's a sitcom character, but when it's your <laughs> mom, not funny, not fun. The... the uh some of the passages in the book that I found to be the, the most moving and memorable were you talking, involved transportation as a child. Can you talk yes. about some of those? Well, and I, for people who've heard this before, I apologize because we'll get to our fear off later. Yes. But one of my main fears is that people are sick of hearing about my sad childhood in particular. That's okay. Because since I've had a kid, I, it's been up for me a lot more. It's mm-hmm. not been thinking about it and talking about it a lot more. But the, one of the, I spent most of my childhood on various modes of public transportation because my mom just didn't want to give me a ride anywhere. I just didn't, she just wasn't interested in being a parent and that was inconvenient and it was a bummer and there was buses. So here's your bus pass or here's your Greyhound ticket. And you're seven or eight at this age taking public transportation oh, by yourself. earlier. I flew alone at four. Because my mom was in San Francisco, my dad was still in L.A., so, so I could see my dad. I would fly alone, which, isn't even, which is uh, no longer legal, and then I would take the Greyhound. Also, it's now known as the Teresa Strasser Law. Yes, like Megan's, Megan's Law. Megan's Law, yeah. Yeah, um, because I was too emotionally broken 
Um, but they had to make a law. Uh, now, I didn't really know any different at the time. I don't remember it being right. that bad. And then I don't even remember the Greyhound. I mean, I was scared when they would, because it was eight or ten hours, whether depending whether I went to L.A. or Santa Barbara where my grandparents lived. And I would get scared at the stops because that's where either people were visiting people in prison or get, that's the serial killer belt of Southern California mm-hmm. where the Greyhound bus goes and it mainly stops near prisons and stuff. Yeah. So um, I was scared that I'd get off at San Luis Obispo or Salinas or whatever and then they, the driver would announce like, we're leaving in 45 minutes and if you're not here, the bus is going to leave. So it was a, I would be pretty paranoid about getting stuck there but otherwise, it's all I knew so I didn't realize that you know I should be angry or scared and I had a I mean, I walked on a Greyhound and I knew where to sit. You know, I knew, like, avoid that guy, avoid that lady. I wouldn't even be kitty corner to that guy. You don't want to be in his peripheral. Like, I just knew, you know, I had... So you had an old soul by the time you were five, I think I was just savvy because I took the city buses around San Francisco. You know, I took the bus to school, took the bus home from school, took the bus to ballet. So I was on the Muni, that's what we call Mm -hmm. it there, or the Bart or whatever, um, real young. So right. I, I was, I knew, I kind of knew the ropes. Right. Yeah. And talk about the watching when it was raining. That. Oh, I would beg my mom for a ride because in San Francisco, it sometimes get a few really rainy days, and um, to catch the twenty-four Divisadero to uh, elementary school was up two giant hills. San Francisco, you know, you might have heard. Mm-hmm. It's a hilly, a little hilly, a little hilly. And so, and all my book bags, I was all studious and everything. It's like mm. 90 pound book bag. And I remember just in the rain begging her just for a ride to school or for a ride just to the bus stop. No, no dice. No dice. What did that feel like? Um, you know, just, uh, you won't catch me on a bus now. That's for one thing. Yeah. I'll probably be giving my son a lot of rides. <laughs> He'll probably be annoyed. He'll probably want to take the bus or the subway, even though no one yeah. does that here. But, um, you know, it was lonely. You know, it was lonely, I think. But I, on the bus, I always, okay, that was around the advent of the Walkman. So I always listened to the Alex Bennett radio show, which I don't know if you know who he is. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, he would have all these comedians on, who a lot of whom I ended up meeting doing Adam's show, like Bobcat and Bobby Slayton and Kevin, um, Pollack. Kevin Pollack. And he would have Robin Williams all those San Francisco comedians mm-hmm. and this that they were my friends they were my friends yeah you know because I would listen all the way to school through you know transferring buses and everything and that really that's what I love doing and to this day I love like when I can't sleep or when I'm on a long drive or when I just need to relax I love listening to radio or what are now really podcasts yeah just because it's it's just soothing and I don't know. It's just a voice in your ear telling you a story. And then you became an entertainer. Isn't it funny how a parent's neglect, while painful to the child, in some ways can often become a gift to society because that person... Because if you look at some of our favorite entertainers, they come from the most neglected, fucked-up childhoods. And so then society benefits from having those people around to entertain them. Well, if we were all well-adjusted, who yeah. would write the books? Yeah. Who would do the um, dark uh, comedy? Yeah. Who would do the... Bu- You're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah I know. Pa- years of pain and suffering. Yeah. So, so But fa- it can also kind of hurt, I think, your ability to work. At least for me, I've, I've found that. Because yeah. 
um, you know, I might have interesting stories and I might be willing to be very open about them, but I also have a lot of anxiety yeah. and that can get in my way. Yeah, it's kind of a... Uh a, a double-edged sword, you know, we've talked about that, that on the on the podcast before. It, you know, what what an awful combination to be saddled with cynicism and imagination. You know, it's right. it doesn't get any more lethal than right. that because it's wonderful when when you're crafting a bit or you're writing a book, but you don't get to turn that cynicism and imagination off when you choose. Or will, let me present you with this yeah. uh dichot juxtaposition or whatever. Yeah. Um, how about, I think a lot of us, or I'll speak for myself, uh, there's a need for approval and then there's paralyzing self-doubt. So how am I going to get your fucking gold star if I'm too fucking scared to go for it? So like when I was, I was living in New York and I was working on a morning show called Good Day New York where I was a field correspondent and I would do live remotes, um, usually outside the studio. Sometimes I'd be in the studio and for, I, for the year I was there, I became the correspondent for a show called Good Day Live, which isn't on the air anymore. But you know they have Good Day LA with um, Jillian and Steve Edwards and um, Dorothy. Um, they, I was their New York per- person. So I got to be kind of frequent on their show where every week or every other week I'd get a call. And they'd say, oh, the Statue of Liberty is reopening. Can you go there and we'll just pick up a live shot? Or um, the American Doll Store is a big thing. So why don't you go and we'll, sh- we'll shoot you at a tea party with a bunch of kids. Or it's the Apprentice auditions. Go interview Donald Trump and then like try and, you know, sneak into the auditions. Or it's the Westminster Dog Show. Mm-hmm. Sneak it, right, try to run it, you know, right. that kind of thing, right? So I would have anxiety. I'd see the producer's phone number on my phone. That would be the beginning of this whole life cycle. Right. A fucking brutal anxiety. I would see the phone number. Of, now, you're supposed to be happy. Somebody's calling you because they want you to work. And this was a national show. It was a big deal. And I loved the people on it. But that became part of the anxiety. See the phone number, immediate stomachache. Immediate mm-hmm. stomachache. And I'd be like, fuck, fuck. I don't, I wish they'd stop. I mean, I need them to keep calling. I'm so happy they like me, but I'm so desperately terrified of doing this. I don't want to do this. Please don't, please. Oh my God. So I pick up the phone. I force myself to pick up the phone because uh, I've had a lot of therapy and you just like, you just walk through it. You just do it. Just do it mm-hmm. and feel horrible, feel the fear, whatever, but just do it. So I take the assignment and then um, for, you know, the 24 hours until that live shot, I would feel so sick and I would over prepare. I mean, I remember doing a live shot from the wax museum when they had unveiling new statues or whatever. And I had jokes about every person in that fucking museum and I was so scared. And mind you, technical things do go wrong a lot. And I think that fed into it. Like, sure. you know, your audio wasn't good and you couldn't really, you can't see them. Yeah, you and don't and have then your imagination is taking that where it's going to go. You know? Right, right. But what really made it terrifying, and here, I don't know, this is, I have a feeling you'll get this, but what really made it terrifying is that after the first few, they would say things on the air like Jillian in particular would say, oh my God, I love her. She's, I shouldn't say this, but she's my favorite. She's my favorite correspondent. And, the, and and Steve Edwards, who's the you know main male host, would would say, oh, "I love her." And then, at as soon as you like me, the idea that I could let you down or that you would realize that I'm actually not so great—that is really at the heart of the paralyzing fear. Because mm-hmm. after doing it, you know, ten remotes, it was obvious that I could do it. I had the skill set 
to not botch it. That right. was so. So it then became um, irrational. It, it, it then became about something different. It became about like I need to keep these people loving me because it feels so good. And I, if there's any, like I just want to leave that. Like I wanted to do one. It, it would go well, and I'd be on a high, and I would think great. Now I never want to do that again. Because I just want to leave on a high note while they still like And me. I'll never be able to recreate that. That yeah, was, that I, just was got, I just got lucky there yes. because my core message that's instilled in me is I'm not good enough. Right. So and I really, it was a fluke. A total fluke. Lightning in a bottle. And if I never do it again, yes. then, I, then I can um, prevent failing and, yeah. I'll, and, I, and I'll not lose. the Like once somebody likes me or believes in me, I then... That really intensifies any mm. sort of feelings I have. And I get really nervous sometimes doing Adam's show for that reason. Like, we had a year with um, Danny Bonaducci, and then, you know, he uh, didn't come back. And then Adam called me at home, and he had a conversation, and it was along the lines of, you're really good. You don't know how good you are. Uh, not many people have what you have. Blah, 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 nice things, Okay. As we're coming having this from coming from Adam, yeah, who is not a, an effusive person, yes, right. And as it's happening, I'm like, oh my god, like I'm I, I'm I'm sweating from my armpits. I'm like sweating. My head hurts. My eyeballs start hurting. Everything is like, oh my god. I just want them to bring in somebody else because I don't want to be. And he's telling me, you can do this. You can be my co-host. I don't need Danny Bonaducci or anybody else. I just need you. You step it up a little bit. And fill in the gap. Did you believe? We don't him. need anybody. Did you believe him when he said you could do it? I had known him never ever to lie. Hmm. He's an incredibly honest human being. Incre- he doesn't have. He just is missing the the piece but, but where you sweet you, talk people. But did you? I believe that you believed him. I, I believe that, that he may. He, I really. But did you believe that <laughs> no, you could do it? No, no, no. I knew I couldn't. Hundred percent. I really thought no. I can't do this. I don't have enough to say. I don't have extreme enough opinions. I'm probably annoying. I, I, I repeat myself. I don't, I'm going to interrupt or talk too little or talk too much. I, I mean, I, it was a carnival of fucking self-doubt. And um, I was so bummed that Danny Bonaducci left, which is something I've never really told anybody because that whole staff, it was a celebration that he was gone. They really didn't, you know, nothing personal, but they didn't feel like he was, didn't really like his comedy stylings mm-hmm. and they didn't feel like he was a good fit and um people were really happy i alone was unhappy because i thought great now this is my moment to let down somebody who's shown so much faith in me and who i admire mm-hmm. this is going to fucking suck and every day i would do it and it would be fine and then i would spend the t- with greg fitzsimmons do you know greg mm-hmm he had one of the funniest lines ever about this. I was telling him that every day after the radio show, I would drive home, and for the 20-minute 20, uh, 20 commute home, I would just regret. I would go over the things that I regretted saying and then the things I regretted not saying. And this was every day. I, I so relate time. to that. And he I said, so relate to he that. He goes, you know what you should do? Move closer to the studio. <laughs> That's a practical fucking solution. So you're in the car less going over it, less in your head. I should have moved across the street, across yeah. the street, and then I don't have, but just ruminate. Do you do that too? Where you think, oh my Why God. did I say or not Constantly. say? Every time I'm, I, I finish doing the podcast or going on somebody else's podcast, 
there's five things I want to call them and say, <laughs> please don't air that. It makes me look foolish. Uh, or, or I sound arrogant or I sound, because I assume that the rest of the world is not out to love me or accept me. They're out to take me down. Why do you assume that? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's not in a malicious, let's go get Paul, but it's in a, I suppose because I grew up in, in a household where there was some love, there was some praise, but mostly there was ignoring and there was criticism. Right. And, and plus, I, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I'm negative to begin with. I'm self-absorbed to begin with. So I think, you know, you, you've struggled with food issues, so I know you probably have those, you know, the, the three hallmarks of, that all addicts have is uh, self-centered, emotionally immature and hypersensitive you know that's something that doctors before before they knew anything about alcoholism or the treatment of alcohol that's one thing that doctors could agree on was all alcoholics show these three symptoms and so i think that probably also extends to people that have food issues or you know, any other kind of addic- addiction yeah, yeah. And, and i think that's just kind of the coping mechanism um for people that are addicted to don't want to escape that that well, ball that's of... interesting because while I don't know you very well, you did come into the radio station, not just the one time where I was in the middle of one of my meltdowns, but a bunch of times after that doing your uh, character. Mm-hmm. Wait, are we allowed to say, are we break the fourth wall that you oh, are oh, Representative yeah, Richard yeah, Martin? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've talked about the character. Okay. So you, and, and you know, okay, so you're one of these guys that everyone likes. Like you have an, a warm, easy personality. Mm. And, and this uh, is news to me, by the way. Really? Because yeah. I always, because you're just one of those people that I always, I wish I had that personality. Like, oh yeah, everybody loves her. She comes in her room, and I try, I try and yeah. make people yeah. like me. I desperately yeah. try. I'm a lot yeah. better at it, just because mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've carefully uh, monitored people who have that quality, and I just imitate certain facets. Right. You know, I, I just, I take, you know, I, um, you know, I simulate. Normal human. I, I, I would disagree because it really feels organic uh, to me. You're somebody that I instantly felt comfortable around. So I, I think this is b- both you and I are just both in our heads. And but no, but you really genuinely are a person that people like. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because listen, I was in the room with this, all those guys, and believe me, when a guest came, yeah. and people weren't shy about like, was that guy a dick? There was a lot of really? uh, yeah. People would kind of voice their. Um, Feeling, you know, you get a vibe yeah. what people think of somebody, and everybody always liked you. Everybody, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's nice to hear, but let's 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 not make this. Uh, even though it's my dream, let's not make this all about <laughs> me. Uh, so getting you ba- got that warm thing, you got you're, a warm you're, open thing. You're that. I, that's I probably that. my why wife, I felt like I could talk to you that day. Thank you, and that means a, that means a lot to me. And my wife w- would tell me that as as well. Um, but there were also people that thought I was an aloof dick. Uh, so it, I really? think it depends. Yeah, it depends on what day you, you caught me on. But fast forward to um, you're living with your mom. You're you're into ballet. How does the eating disorder present itself? And at, at what age did the food issues become? Well, I don't even remember not having it. And everyone's got a different story. But in my case. I can't think of a time when I didn't binge, uh, or starve, exercise insanely, become obsessed with how I was going to lose weight and what diet I was going to go on, feel very uncomfortable in my own body, and then right back to 
just want to get to the refrigerator. Like I remember being at my grandparents and my mom, because it was all hippy dippy, she didn't have junk food, but my grandparents had would have Rocky Road ice cream in their oh. freezer. So I remember I would go to their house for the summer and literally gain 25, 30 pounds. <laughs> like a kid. I would, I would just fucking eat because it was unfettered access to shit. And, um, and this I, was your mom's parents or your my dad's? dad's. Your dad. And I already had this. Like, so I would remember I'd walk by with a big giant spoon. And I just, I'd tell him, I'm just going to have this one spoonful. Mm-hmm. And I'd have it. And I'd walk back around, sit in front of the TV. And I'd like, fight it, fight it, fight it, fight it. Next commercial yes. break. I'm just going to have one more. Then you try to move the ice cream around in such a way in the container that it doesn't look like it's been attacked <laughs> by fucking raccoons, right? And by the way, I spent a lot of my life manipulating food items to look like they yes. had not been attacked. Yeah. You know, like I, at one point, I had a job as a temp, okay, it was a, but it was a half dare. So the temp agency calls and they go, this company's having their holiday party. They need somebody to answer their phones. Can you do this while they're out at their party half day job? No problem. So I show up there and um, I'm sitting there and it's dead slow because it's right around Christmas. No one's calling. And I notice there's a giant vase like up to my waist in the corner and it's huge and it's glass. It's filled with M&Ms, plain and peanut, okay? Plain and peanut, yeah. both. You don't have to decide. You can, and so I think to myself, well, I will just have one or two. Mm-hmm. Or a little bit. Do you say to yourself, I'm going to have the peanut because then it's kind of like a meal? Oh, it's protein. Yes. Sure, that's, that's healthy. T- that's what I would tell myself. Right, you go with yeah. that. Yeah. But even then, like I had a, a, a very precocious knowledge of calories because if you, you know, if you are one of these people, that's, you're an expert. Mm-hmm. You know a lot of shit about um but it's not about that you know it's a it's a spiritual malady which you are treating with food or starving or whatever but you know a lot so i i already knew at a very early age that peanuts had a lot of calories so right. i couldn't even really convince myself that it was healthy but cut to by the time they get back i have now i've actually eaten myself into like a coma i mean i'm out i'm passed out like a drunk or like somebody nodding out like miss blankenship on mad men Yes. Dead at the typewriter. Yes. I was Miss Blankenship, but, you know, Miss Blankenchips, whatever, <laughs> you know, like I had eaten myself, you know, into, uh, yeah. It was so they come back out. and you're asleep. Well, I'm on the Because you've desk. eaten so much sugar. And the drool is like colorful, you know, because it's m yeah. drool. So I've got, it's hard to hide. And the, you know, the level of the m in the vase has moved down. So if you CSI it, yeah. You see the girls passed out with the drool and the M&M vase is down. What the fuck? Kind of temp. But I was never really, really overweight because mm. I would binge and then I would starve and I would binge and I would starve. So Did you, you ever know, make yourself throw up? No, I really couldn't. I'm not mm-hmm. a thrower upper. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I would have, I, if I could have, I would have. I think yeah. I would have been bulimic. But it fucked your teeth up, doesn't it? The acid yeah, from it really screws teeth, your teeth up. It really up. messes up your... It's, really hard on your body and bad on your esophagus yes. and a bunch of other things yeah yes and yeah. i can kind of spot it now that i've seen it enough yeah. like yeah. on your face your face gets puffy cheeks are puffy really eyes bloodshot yeah like just from the yeah yeah teeth like you said um and it's really it's 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 hard on on your uh, internals mm-hmm. um but uh, now i never did that i just would we would go on binges and then I would uh, starve and exercise a lot so that I could stay a normal looking, you know, as mm-hmm. general. There, at a point, I was probably 30 pounds bigger than I am now. 
Um, there are points when I've probably been 10 pounds less than I am now, but this is kind of a normal weight, which I've maintained now for a decade. Mm-hmm. So, um, so your, your, your eating has not been uh, out of control for a decade. One day at a time, it has been. That's fantastic. Yes, it has been. Uh, you know, I've had I have days that are imperfect and are sloppy, where I don't feel that comfortable mm-hmm. about right. what I ate or how I or my behavior mm-hmm. or with the how I ate it. Mm-hmm. But uh, generally, and that's amazing because, like I said, I don't remember ever not having this kind of relationship with food. And toward the end, there were incidents, and this is I honestly would feel better if I were talking to you about shooting heroin or um, doing cocaine, or being addicted to gambling, or any, this is the least glamorous addiction. And even in my own addiction, I would feel better if I were a bulimic or a flat out anorexic, because that's more glamorous. Because I thought nobody else, like on Valentine's Day, before I, um, you know, before this reversal 10 Mm -hmm. years ago, um, I had had this, was dating this guy, and I was doing a show on deep, cable over at the mm. game show network mm. and the boyfriend put me on like a, a one week hold for valentine's day it, i mean it, valentine's day happened to fall during this one week mm-hmm. said so let's take a week off right. and the guys on my crew went what that yeah, is so the week fucked. of valentine's yeah day. what a dick right yeah. so on my little host chair they put a giant heart-shaped box of candy and i'm giant i mean i don't know what in pounds but giant mm. So I was like, oh, thank you, thank you. I'm starting to be a little nervous with it in the car. Take it home alone. Pour myself a little glass of wine with it, although that's not really my thing. But it's a good, you know, you one, you, you're, you're disinhibited. Is that mm-hmm. the word? So yeah. first I think I'm just going to have the caramels. Like you see yeah. how it goes. I'm just going to. The caramels are always the first to go. Yes. You know, they're like the black people in a movie, you know, in a horror <laughs> movie. They're going down first. Yes. Yeah. Those caramels. They went down. Yeah. Right? They were gone. Yeah. And then maybe there's some like brittly things that might be good or something nougaty. Mm-hmm. Now you're getting to the fruits, right? Mm-hmm. But each time I put the whole heart shaped box back in the cupboard. Absolutely. Otherwise, you have back. a problem. If know. you don't put the cover on it. Right. I know I'm that. I can't possibly eat any more of this. Yeah. I, and I, but I'm alone and no one's seeing it. Now I'm into my second glass of wine. And now I'm getting into things that are orange. And purple, mm-hmm. but here's the thing: I'm only eating the chocolate around it. Sure, I'm not going to eat that orange shit on you. No. That shit it doesn't even good taste for, good. It's not good for you, Teresa. It's not good for me. It no. doesn't even taste good. Yeah. Why would I binge on something that doesn't taste good? Because right. right. only someone who does this kind of shit knows right. what I'm talking about. Right. I would binge on oatmeal, broccoli. There's nothing I haven't binged on. But now I'm eating the purple and the orange and the cordial, which is the most disgusting. Yeah. Th- that's your bottom. That's a bottom. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's even as I'm saying this. When you hit the coconut, you knew you needed oh, help. Oh my god, yeah. that is a one-step program. Yeah, coconut. Co- you're eating the coconut, really? There's there's a hundred pieces of chocolate in here, yeah. and you're down to the coconut. <coughs> That's what it's come to. Sometimes yeah. you feel like a nut, <clears throat> and you are. Yeah, you are. So, so that's when you knew you needed uh, you needed help with the, that. Um, and then there was an incident. It's so embarrassing because it's like food. I mean, here people are starving. You, by the way, and you I have can't, to can't you, stop eating. You have to see uh, Patton Oswalt's newest uh, stand-up special because he talks about this exact same thing. He has food issues, and he talks about how lame he feels having that as an issue compared it's to so alcoholics lame. that I have great stories. I just want to be a drug addict, like yeah. a real. But Trust you me, do you hear don't. some good stories. Trust me, no, you I don't. don't. Although I don't. the thing that that I don't envy about you is you know there's this saying that you have to open the case.
cage to the beast three times a day because have you have to eat. You can't just put, put the plug that, in the jug. That, to me, is... Uh, that can be tough. That's that scary. Tough. That seems really scary. You know really what scary. else was weird? Well, I'll say to Patton's point, yes, it is very... It's a hard thing to talk about. And I feel like as a culture, when someone dies of this disease, mm-hmm. no one says that. And I'm going to, like you're John Candy's, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody who clearly was morbidly, morbidly obese, obese. And he ate himself to death, right? Yeah. That happens a lot. And people, no one says it. And I just think, why are we, everyone, that person's morbidly obese. They ate themselves to death. Yeah. If they drank themselves to death and had cirrhosis of the liver, we would all say that, isn't that too bad? And let's raise yeah. awareness. But when somebody, you know, and there are people I know who are 60 pounds. There are people who are 500 pounds. It's kind of the same thing yeah really it's like i'm going to control this or i can't control this um but yes it's totally unglamorous and there are things i've done i've eaten food out of the trash i've eaten food that was still frozen i've eaten food that was burnt i mean my husband doesn't even know the stuff because he knows me he only knows the me that's you know well into recovery and 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 the thing for anybody out there that's that's struggling with uh an addiction the biggest thing that, that, that is frustrating, trying to cure it yourself, trying to to solve it yourself, is you. the addict tries to control it directly, which can never happen. Because the real issue, as you know, is the anxiety underneath it that drives you to seek comfort by anesthetizing with a substance or a person or shopping or whatever it is. And the only way to cure that anxiety is through the energy of connecting to, to other human beings. And I know that people are tired of me probably on the podcast talking about you need to connect to other people, but that is, it's the, it's the, it's the truth. It's the only thing that I know that has ever alleviated my pain and my loneliness and my fear well, inside what else me. Is there? There's nothing. I there mean, is- if you peel everything back and, you know, recently I had, I had an experience where that felt pretty extreme, where I got very, very down and um, very down. And in that moment, I had, I had clarity. These are the things that matter. Doesn't matter, like can you, can my husband more, and my can, baby. Can That's you be it. more specific about this? Because I, I heard the interview, uh, and I know I you probably don't, Adam. you talked yeah. about it with Adam, and it was riveting to me. And <clears throat> at the risk of burdening you with repeating the story i think it's one bore people yeah it's Teresa. it's anything it's anything but boring and i think there's a lot of people that have been in that place where you have been and i am one of them i've been in that place before it was pretty bad i mean i think uh like i said how long ago was this this was god i want to say i'm terrible with time um but i think maybe it was let's see i think the baby was 18 months, 99, about f- five months ago, something okay. like that. Or 1974. Either one. One of the two. One of the two. They both sound, seem like... It was right. a crisp day. That's the important thing. It was thing. a crisp fall day. Yeah. In February. In February. And, um, yeah, so... And the birds were chirping. Um, well, I had been... So, whatever. I'll... Uh, to make it concise, I... My sleep was off because, for one thing... You've been an insomniac your whole life. Lifelong insomniac and doing morning radio, so getting up at 4.30. And my baby, you know, he's in daycare, and so he just... They they get sick a lot. And Mm -hmm. he was just a a condensed period where he was up a lot in the night, and he was sick. And I felt, 
incredibly guilty that he was getting all, I blame myself that he was getting all these colds and stuff because I was putting him in daycare because I was working. That was part of it. Part of it was I was simply, my brain chemistry was off just simply from not sleeping. After a few months of not sleeping, you start to hallucinate, which I did. I would hear him crying when he wasn't crying. I had audit, I had flat yes. out fucking auditory hallucinations, yeah. right? So it started to get bad. And then um, I really thought, there's only one thing that can make this better. Like, I got to go. I, this is like a party, and I don't want to be here. I don't want to say goodbye to anybody. I will sacrifice my coat in the pile of coats on the bed. I will just sneak out the back, and no one's going to miss me. I just want to go. I just can't do this. I want to die. Yeah, well, I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I didn't want to upset anybody, but my brain was fucked up from not sleeping, and um, I... Just, I started, and then the day that I, um, when it kind of came to a head, I was driving to see my therapist because I thought that'd be a good idea. Because, you know, having a baby and a job, you, you know, the amount of time I, and, and effort and energy and money that it takes for me to stay sane is a lot. And, you know, that, that was not a priority. So I didn't really, hadn't been to therapy in months and hadn't been uh, going to support group meetings as much and doing the things that were keeping me sane. Mm-hmm. So on this day I was driving. I had already gone to see her once that week. She said, maybe you should come back. Mm-hmm. So on my way back um, from work, I was listening to uh, Tangled Up in Blue for the 47th time. That's never. <laughs> that's that's, that's like that's the coconut good. chocolate. Yeah. Things are bad. Yeah. Things are bad. In fact, your car, after playing Tangled Up in Blue like 10 times, mm-hmm. I'll give you a limit of 15 it should just drive you right. It should just fifty-one fifty you. Your car should take you <laughs> to the nut house. They and should go, put a chip in there. Yeah, they should put a fifty-one fifty chip in your Bob Dylan CD. Yeah, and you're in because yeah. you've listened one too many times, and you you didn't put, cut in any other music. Yeah. So um, and and, uh, and you have to add to that chip Adele's "Someone Like You," which I've listened <laughs> to forty times in the last <gasps> month. Forty. So times. how many times should the chip give you before it fifty-one fifties you on Adele? It should have done it at the tenth time. Tenth time. It should have said, "Yeah, you know, everybody gets sad, but uh, but, but this ahead. is too much." Yeah, but this, this is, too, is much. too much. And as I'm driving over from my second therapy appointment in, in a week, having not slept and the kids sick and whatever, um, I, I felt my body just shake, shaking, physically shaking, which I hadn't experienced before. I got there, and um, she said, "You should have your husband pick, probably pick you up." Probably shouldn't drive. She could see you visibly shake. Yeah. And this is a person I really trust who I've known a long time. And she said, you need a break. So, um, you know, having worked in radio and and whatever, like I have my work ethic is something that's part of my identity. Mm -hmm. I think, well, I'm not great at this job. I don't do anything special, but I show up on time. And I never, I'm never, I'm never sick. I never miss. I'm always there. So why is it so hard for you to admit that you do a great job? Because I don't. I'm You're, extremely mediocre at this. Why would everybody continue to hire you? Because the competition is not the bars low. Teresa, There's you're, not that many women doing it. You're great. I, uh, no, for example, mm. I listened to Beth Littleford on your show, yeah. and I thought, yeah, she. That's how it's supposed to be done. She's very articulate. And she's likable, and she's charming, and she's fun, and she knows when to shut up and when to talk. So I'm are not you. That. You're, you're crazy. No. You're crazy. I want to slap you. <laughs> and that should be the other chip. The third chip in the car is when you hear a friend slap you, then it takes you. Then it takes you 50 right 50. to 5150. Yeah. So um, there was discussion 
about what would be a good idea for me to do. Yeah. And she said, you, you got to take time off, which again, I had never done. You were ever. doing this morning radio. Yeah. Hmm. And I, I took a week off just to be with my kid. Um, you know, I felt horrible that I went to work. Can, I was not the first person he saw you, in the morning. Can you back up for a second too? And do you mind being more specific about the lengths you were considering going to? Okay. All right. Well, I did call my dad because one of the things that was concerning me was that he was going to take it hard because we're still really close, even though he never bothered to molest me. So <laughs> I, I, I'm really, really close to my dad. Yeah. So I thought, eh, now that I'm a parent, I know that would be a horrible feeling. Because people would look at you with a stink eye. Mm -hmm. You're the guy whose daughter killed herself. Mm -hmm. And you probably were bad. Like I knew it would be. But my dad is an incredibly sunny person. He could be sunny about stage five lung cancer and there's only stage four. You know what I mean? Like he could make you feel better about anything. So I called him and and I, 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 I had already convinced myself that because he was so sunny that he'd be fine about it. Mm-hmm. But I just called and I said, you know, um, I just, I just want to go. What do you mean? Go where? He, he's my dad. You know, he knew. I said, I just, I just want to go. I feel like Buster would be better without me. You know, Daniel will meet somebody else. Buster's your nickname for your yeah. little boy. He'll be better off without me. I'm not doing a good job. My, my, my husband will meet somebody else. I just, like it hurts. I just want to go. I just want to leave. And and then I said, I know you'll be fine. And he he said, I'll never ever be fine if you go. <laughs> we got in his car and he came down here, which was you know a twelve hour drive. <laughs> but it was weird to hear him say that. He just said, "You're wrong. I'll never be fine. I'll never ever be fine." And. You know, I talked to my therapist and she said, I, I explained to her that I felt that Buster would be better off without me because I wasn't doing a good job. And she said, uh, she said, do you know what I did my gradual, graduate thesis in? Uh, kids whose parents kill themselves. And uh, get, he's not going to be fine. He's never going to be fine. So, you know, hearing that was, I it sort of didn't really believe her that he'd be better with me than with, you know, whoever else my, my husband would marry after me. But, um, but you know, when I, I literally just needed two nights of sleep and to be with my child. Because I think not being there when he woke up in the morning and being the person who changed his diaper and just being the first, like I didn't feel like his mom. And, you know, it was a really weird transition for me. I didn't have postpartum, but there was something unreal about it. Like I'd get in my car and see the car seat and I'd wonder, whose car is this? Like, why is there a baby seat in my car? You know, it didn't. And I thought, why do I feel this way? Why don't I feel natural? And obviously, you know, not obviously, but I think I was just freaked out that um, I was going to be, you know, like my mom. I was going to greet motherhood with a very weak handshake. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to like it. I wasn't going to be good at I wasn't going to be a natural. Like, I thought, I think of it like basketball players. You know, like, there are Michael Jordans. Those are naturals. And you see those moms. And then there are Derek Fishers. And, you know, they work hard in, in, in the off season and they, they have hustle and you want Derek Fisher. And then there's people that are just stiffs, you know what I mean? Mm. And, um, I thought, you know, that, um, because of the, 
a way I was raised and because my mom didn't like being a mom that I, you know, I was just scared. And, and, uh, when I had a few days, the other thing is that my mom was living here to help with the baby. And I think having her around was, she was, or was not she living was here uh-huh. because I would get up at four thirty and leave and she would come over every morning to mm-hmm. help with the baby, which was very generous. But I think being around her all the time was, uh, was deeply painful. Because she would say things like, well, we're just not naturals about, um, wow. yeah. And when she'd see me interact with my kid and during that, um, after I had the, the incident yeah. after the meltdown, uh, she left and I felt so much better just not seeing that woman every day. Like God bless her for helping me. But it was very triggering seeing her every day and thinking that, that, that I was her. And when she left, I realized Holy fuck, I'm not her. I love being a mom and I might fuck it up and I might make mistakes, but my child is going to see that when he walks into a room, I'm fucking happy to see him. Yeah. And I might screw it up or whatever, but I'm going to be here in the morning when he wakes up. Yeah. Maybe I'll be broke. Maybe we'll have to move to Koreatown. Maybe, as I said on Adam's show, maybe I'll work at Pinkberry, yeah. but I don't care. And, you know, I made a commitment to do that job for a year and I fulfilled it. So I, I stayed there another couple of months. Look, I stopped crying. Remember I said how I couldn't once I started, but I'm, I'm sorry about my nose running. It's totally gross. Um, anyway, so sorry for the sniffling. But um, so, <clears throat> so I got some sleep. I spent, you know, a week plus the weekend. And I think I took, I added on Monday or Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So I spent about 10 days without my mom around, just being with my kid. And I realized I, I can do this. I'm doing this. I love my kid. I'm concerned about the job I'm doing. It's important to me. And that alone means I'm doing a good enough job. And I read a yeah. ton of books during that time um, that were really helpful. And one of them most, actually... Most of them were John Grisham novels, but they were still books. <laughs> the Firm, you'd mm-hmm. be amazed. Yeah, a lot of good mommying skills in a there. A lot of like how to do a timeout. Um, you just have to look at your child as the corporation. Yes, exactly. And never, you know, don't lose... When you're chasing it, I don't know. I'm trying to remember the firm now. I can't make any jokes about the firm. Um, but uh, I read a lot of books, and one of them basically said, hover parents or parents who are too involved, that's actually bad for the kid. Here's what you want to go for. Good enough. You expose them to enough cultural things. You take them to enough of it. Like, good enough. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's right up my alley. Yeah. I could do that. Yeah. And then uh, that's uh, it was just a life-changing moment, but it had to get really extreme and that's when it dawned on me to come back to what you're saying about the human connection that the only things i cared about the things i thought i cared about whether i was successful whether i sold books whether people liked me whether people admired me whether i was good at things i suddenly couldn't have given a fuck about any of that or whether i went to trader joe's today or whether i did the laundry or whether nothing fucking mattered i just wanted to be with my husband and my kid and that's it and um, it's the kind of clarity that you can only, unfortunately, sometimes get from an extreme experience like that. Um, but, you know, I had been Googling gun stores. Because I didn't, I was stumped about how, what, how. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
But I hadn't actually gone. Like you have to fill out some forms and wait a week and take a class. And I don't think Which I would I did. have done. That. Did you? Yeah, yeah. I actually had applied <gasps> for the for the license. You for did? It. Yeah. Did you go to the one in the valley or downtown? I did. It used oh to be, my god! It used to be B and B Guns on Oxnard. So it, fucking dark. I can't yeah. believe we're going here. Yeah. So you went there. Yeah. Because I don't know how to fire a gun, so I was going to take the class. Yeah. Did you take? I had a friend take me to the gun range. He didn't, and I don't think I even knew that that's where I was headed. But I was starting to hear voices in my backyard at night, and this was when I was drinking a lot. Also, um, this would have been. I like was in 19- your garbage looking for chocolates. <laughs> this was like 1999, but um, I, I felt like there was like the world was closing in on me, and I didn't. I don't think I realized that, that that's what I was trying to do. There was two thoughts in my head. One was that I need to. To, to kill myself to make this pain end. And right. the other was that people are are going to invade my home and my backyard. So and I need you to were protect having myself. paranoid delusions. Yeah, yeah, I think I was. I think I was. But I was also drinking a lot and I was, my depression was unmedicated uh, at that point. Sleeping? No problem sleeping. Actually, sleeping too much. Oh, well, yeah, that's yeah. the other sign yeah. that you're depressed. Yeah, but uh, I just uh, like to compare notes when I. When I can, I like to. I like I to. I can't believe I, I, you I, went to, I, I so like you to went say me too when I can, and yeah. you filled out the form. Filled out, yeah. I, in fact, I don't know if it's still valid, but yeah, I'm cleared. I got a, a permit to, you know, I took the the course. And then you're supposed to wait a week, which I think is a good idea. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know why I didn't. I didn't buy one. I know my wife did not want me to buy one. She thought it was completely unnecessary. But I had. We had had somebody, a fugitive, run through our yard like uh, a couple of years earlier, and it freaked both of us out. So I think in my mind, that was the reason why I was going to buy the gun. But, but deep, down, deep down, I also had thought, this fantasy every day yeah. that I'm going to kill myself to make this. I found this, it very comforting. Like yeah. in that last week where I was Googling the gun shops and calling my dad and uh, where I sort of thought, this is, gonna, this is, the, this is the way to go here. I suddenly felt better. I felt relieved. And I think mm-hmm. that's common when people... Now, I don't, I don't believe I was genuinely suicidal. Right. I believe that I was having these fantasies because they were a relief from yeah. the pressure I felt. You need a plan B. I needed a plan B. And I just... The idea that... There, to me, the idea that I, was a, that I wasn't a good mother mm-hmm. was I just simply couldn't have it. Yeah. I just simply couldn't live with that. It was too much having had that experience myself. Like, and, and I just, and it was bullshit. Yeah. Like I was doing fine. I am doing fine. Um, there were professionals around who agreed that I was more than that. Like they said, you know, my kid goes to this amazing daycare as a woman. She's written a book. She's, she's been doing it for 40 years. And she's like, this kid is so together. You don't have to worry about this. Like, but it wouldn't get in. Because but, I was paranoid. Yes, yes, and where there's mental illness, it doesn't matter sometimes what the external circumstances are because the brain will twist it to be whatever fact the brain needs it to be to justify its own sickness. I'll tell you what, there are days now, whatever, four or five months later, Paul, that a part of me misses that moment because it was so extreme. And I know I keep saying that, but... Which moment? Of just crashing and you know emailing my boss that i was gonna have to take a week off and you know it was almost like so is this is this this be the moment before or after you knew that you needed time off when i when i took that time off and um you know everything stopped um 
you know, and my, you know, my, my therapist and my husband, you know, this was like a thing. People were worried and, you know, we, we took steps and we, we, we addressed it. And sometimes I miss that because, um, there are times even four or five months later, I find myself getting wrapped up in things that don't matter. Mm -hmm. And I miss that feeling that I knew that they didn't, you know, like if, if, you know what I'm saying? I I find myself going, does Whitney Cummings have to have two fucking shows? Why? God, you know, like and I, I've met her a couple times. She's really nice. And <laughs> on a good day when everything's happy and good and I like, and, 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 and I'm a leaf in the stream and, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm in the matrix. Like, God bless. There's enough to go around and she's so hardworking and everything. And then, but then there are days where you go, why didn't I amount to anything? I, I mean, Mm-hmm. Why didn't, why, why, you know? And so when I have stupid thoughts like that, that creep in that are, um, that I know are meaningless as I know, I know like, look, but they seem so real when they come in that yes. it's, you have fucked up. You don't work hard enough. Right. You aren't good enough. You aren't ambitious. Yes. You aren't, you aren't ambitious. Yes. And it feels so you real. Should've. You, you should have done. Up. Why the did world you screw is up? Why did you, you quit this or that job? You'd be yes. here or there. Yes. You could have been. You would have been. They're lies. They are lies. You know, sometimes the, I, I think that the universe, what feels like it's cornered us and we fucked up is it's trying to give us something that we really needed. Now, your book sale. If your book had been a bestseller, it would have just delayed, I think, the inevitable of you having to have this moment of you realizing what was important. You, I, you, yeah, you, I agree. I mean, I think there was so, writing that book, my, there were a lot of, um, there were a confluence of events, you know, like water flowing into one big river that right. led to this. But writing the book was so hard because I had an infant at the time who I was nursing. So I won't bore you with that, but it was very hard and exhausting. And then working and then promoting the book. So going on Dr. Phil and the talk and they're all over. And there was so much blood, sweat and tears. And it was the first time in my life as a writer that it didn't come back to me. You know, like in my show business career, whatever, on TV, some things are good, some things are bad, some things fail, whatever. But as a writer... Every time I had written something, and you know, I don't aim that high, right. but people had um, felt it on some level, and it it had been received well, and and you know, this was received well, but it wasn't a bestseller. So right. I think putting all that effort and energy into it, and it not being you know like a huge, and, and you know, it will earn out its advance, which one in ten books right. do. So there's that, but that wasn't enough. And I do think, yes, had I gotten that, would that have made it all better? No, because the thing that I had to do, I think, was um, not get up at 4.30 in the morning. It's just that simple. And people who work weird hours know what I'm talking about because it really screws up your brain until you cannot fucking tolerate any stressor. Yeah. You know, until you can't think straight and then you're Googling the gun ranges. Mm -hmm. And then you go to the valley, maybe I'll just be alive. But right after that, I was doing, so I was, you know, still went back to work and there was a news story about these suicide kits where you, I don't know, I should feel like I'm, I'm worried about, if you're suicidal, that's, don't, because look, I've, I'm on, I cried and shit, but I've never been fucking happier. Hmm. I've never been happier in my life because um, for the most part, I'm still pretty clear that these human connections I have are all that matters. Yeah. And, um, and I'm so lucky to have them. So 
fuck everything else. Um, and that, so whatever. But there are kits. Yeah. I found out. This is what I was getting to. So after that whole gun debacle where I couldn't figure out how to get a fucking gun. And I really honestly was, don't, do not feel like I was legitimately suicidal. I feel like I was fantasizing. But, um, but I was down. Um, these kits, okay, this old lady was selling them online and I think she was getting prosecuted. It had to do with like a helium balloon. Did you hear about this? It's like some kind of helium balloon set up and, um, you know, that she was helping people to gently pass onto the, onto the next life, shuffle off their mortal coils. And I thought... With a cartoony voice? No. Well, this is my favorite. Okay. So now you're trying to have, you know, say your last... Maybe you're alone, mm-hmm. but then don't you don't you think you say something just to hear yourself with the cartoony voice? Yeah, why? Well, I don't what understand. Do you say what, is what, what, what is the purpose of the helium? Balloon? Somehow it kills you. There must be some kind of you just inhale like a, helium. You know, like you, the plastic bag thing yeah. where you. Get, <laughs> my aunt did that, and they found the, there are a lot of suicides in my family. And my apparently, aunt apparently she wasn't an environmentalist. She <laughs> chose paper. <laughs> she was wasted. The bag. I hope they recycled and somebody else killed themselves yeah. with it. <laughs> you know what's funny? Yeah. Her husband watch- also killed himself later. That's awful. It's not funny. Yeah. But he didn't use the same bag. And I feel like, hey, carbon footprint, guys. Yeah. You know Come what you could have used? But she had the book next to her after she was found, oh. Final Exit. And it explains that the plastic bag is the best thing. So this helium balloon thing must be some version of suffocating yourself, but yeah. it involves helium. Yeah. And I do like to imagine <laughs> that... <laughs> That it's goodbye, crow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. But now I think maybe the ways to kill yourself shouldn't be readily available because. Yeah, I mean, I suppose in a capitalistic democracy, it it should, but uh, in many ways, it 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 shouldn't be. Um, I do think, right? I believe strongly that if you are ill. And you would like to go? That you should be allowed to do that with oh, dignity. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. If if there's if you're if you're you've got some life threatening illness and you're in pain. Do you think if you're yeah. depressed, you should be allowed to no, just go with dignity? I, I don't. I don't. Well, I think you should be able. You should be allowed to do whatever it is that you want to do. I'm a I'm a libertarian that way, but I think most people. I think ninety nine point nine percent of the people would be wrong in. It's making going that to pass. snap judgment. It's going it to pass. is going to pass. It yeah. is going to pass. I, but what if you've been depressed for like 10 years? I was. I, I was mean, depressed for 10 years. And, and it passed. It passed. Sometimes it comes back. It's, it's settled over me for the last couple of months. I'm working Where on are you changing, today? changing Ten, my meds. 10 being, I'm at the I'm at the gun range, mm-hmm. getting because you already filled out the paperwork. And one is you're Whitney Cummings, because I just imagine you'd be really, really happy. <laughs> um, I'm probably a five or a six um just everything is gray everything is flat i know what's going to change i'm just impatient and and uh i'm just what can i do what can i do to make it better doing this podcast that you that i'm telling you this podcast people tell me i love the podcast it brings me it makes me feel less alone makes me feel less fucked up i say it all the time it that this does it for me that moment when you were when you said your dad you were crying and you said, my dad said, I, I will never be okay with it. I, I, I felt something in me lift and I just felt like I, there's somebody out there that gets me, that I get, that that 
it's okay for me to talk about my pain. It's okay for me to say that I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I'm that I'm never going to be happy and have passion like I used to. That that's a big fear of mine because um, it's been months since I felt any passion for anything. Even about doing this podcast? I have moments when I'm doing this podcast. Most of the time, I'm just sweating and nervous that I'm doing a whole lot. My <laughs> shirt is almost completely soaked through. You know what yeah. I find really helps? Mounds Bar. Yeah? Yeah, or Twix. I had a, a big bowl of, um, they did a premiere party for the show that my wife works on, and they had it catered, and it was this amazing caterer. It was this bowl of that hot chocolate lava e cake yes. with ginger ice cream. Oh my god. And uh that was like ten well, minutes I don't of fuck just around bliss. with no ginger in my shit yeah, though. Don't was, put ginger in my fucking dessert. It was good. No. There was chunks of ginger in no, it. it no. No, that's all wrong. But I like the lava yeah. chocolate cake. I have not had uh candy, cake, yeah. ice cream, nothing ten years. Don't miss it. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. amazing to me. Yeah, don't miss it. Because it wasn't like one Jolly Rancher. It was, yeah. I'm going to keep a bag of Jolly Ranchers under my bed because mm. that's going to be my boyfriend yeah. and my friend. That's what we call getting into the ranching business. <laughs> Do you feel like doing a fear off? Yeah. Do we have time? Oh, uh, yes. You okay on yes, time? Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm so, computer. I am so happy that you found time to come do this because I know you're super crazy busy, but I think a lot of people are... Uh, are going to really get a lot. I hope so. Well, obviously, you know, you know what we'll do after the fear off, maybe before we sign off, you know what I'm going to do? What? You tell me, maybe we can both do this. What? Since we both like to regret things we've said or <laughs> failed to say, yes. let's take a moment let's do that. and we'll address a regret our regrets. Off. A yes. regret off. Yes. And then Teresa that way Strasser. we leave, we're clean. I like right? it. Right? I like it. Okay. Okay. Um, I am I am going to uh, listeners fears because as I've said oh, on the podcast, Jesus, many you're times, out of fears. I, well, I've done over like 120 on the on the right. show, you and, might, I, and I don't getting... and I don't want to repeat. Right. So, I'm, and I like I like the the listeners being a part of the show. So this one comes from uh, I'm going to withhold her her name because it's a very identifiable name. Um, and uh, I, I don't know if she wants this to be anonymous or not, but it says, here are some fears from a 42-year-old woman in Minnesota. Um, oh, so I'm going, I'm facing off against somebody in uh, yeah. Minnesota. Yeah. Oh, oh, honey. And then, and then oh, she's, oh. oh, look out. Oh, she's crushed, huh? I think so. All right. Yeah. Uh, her first fear is, I fear that I won't ever look good in clothes again. I'm afraid that because my mother left at a critical age, I will never truly feel safe or happy. In I, your face. That's good. That is good. Uh, I fear that SSRIs have killed my ability to orgasm forever. <laughs> I'm afraid that I harp on my crappy childhood too often and that it really wasn't that bad. Uh, and by the way, we don't stop to say how crazy and unjustified your fears are, but just know that 99.9% of, uh, of them are fucking crazy and unjustified. <laughs> I'm just not going to stop and address all those. Uh, she says, I fear I won't ever sleep through the night again. It's two years and counting with insomnia. I thought you'd enjoy that one. Oh, I do. I'm afraid I repeat myself and annoy people. Mm -hmm. uh, I fear I'll keep getting fatter despite more than seven hours of exercise per week, at least one hour per day for at least five days. I'm afraid I say the same thing over and over. I fear I'm older and crustier than my years. I'm afraid that one day the things about me my husband finds charming, he will find unbearably grating. <laughs> I fear I'm becoming irrelevant. I'm afraid of being one missed thank you note or elbow on the table away from being Jodie Foster in the movie Nell. 
Oh, God, I love you. I fear I'm the only one who craves attention in person, face-to-face, without keyboards in the age of smartphones. I'm afraid I will always be faking social graces instead of organically manifesting them. (laughs) I fear that I'm losing my mind. I'm scared the people who think I'm talented will all, one by one, realize that they overestimated me. Uh, I fear that I'm the only one who seems to care about copy editing. That's a very specific one she has. God, I'm slowly falling in love with this lady. Yeah, she's great. Her fears really paint a picture of somebody I would like. I'm scared of being broke and having to go back to living in Koreatown and having only one bathroom. I fear I'm the only one I I work with who writes things down. I'm scared the veins under my eyes are becoming visible and making me look old. They're not, by the way. Uh, I fear I'll be old, alone, and mumbling to myself when my kids pass me by. I'm scared that one especially vitriolic and dedicated internet troll will follow me in my career, posting nasty shit about me until the day the only thing I'm writing is my will, and the only thing I'm hosting is bingo night at the old folks' home. Oh, God damn it, you are good. I mean, you should literally come through saloon doors with the fear off. I mean, you are so fucking good. All right, you've already outlasted one uh, listener, so I'm bringing in another listener okay. now. So All you've right. already killed one off. All right, I'm telling We're going to Kayla now. you got to double team me. Yeah, uh, we're going to Kayla, who says, uh, my biggest fear is falling and knocking my teeth out. I'm scared my son has inherited one of my worst traits, being emotionally volatile. I have a fear of hitting an animal when I drive at night. I'm scared of even voicing any real fears about my son because they are so scary that it makes me superstitious. But suffice to say, I'm terrified of getting any sort of call about bad news from daycare or any other health crisis. Good God. I fear that ger- I fear uh, germs at the red box. I don't know. What, what is the red that's box? That's where you get DVDs for a oh, dollar from I the thought. Albertsons. I'm classy. Okay. Right. I'm scared of seeing my child's blood even from a skin knee. I fear losing a loved one. I'm scared my child will be a social outcast because I was a social outcast and I won't be able to show him the secret world of how popular people interact. I fear that I will come home one day and my cat will be dead. I'm scared that my features are harsh and make me look angry or mean and that this will prevent me from continuing to work in television. God damn it, you are so good. Uh, I have a fear, and by good I mean crazy. Uh, (laughs) I have a fear of getting fat and no one will think I'm attractive. I'm scared I'll never be important in any public way. I'm afraid that I will be stuck at my desk job for the rest of my life and never have a career where I'm satisfied. I'm scared I will never stop grade grubbing from the pass-fail class that is life. (laughs) I have a fear of finding God. I'm scared I wear too much makeup. I fear the unknown. I'm scared many of my skirts and shorts are too short. Wow, you have now knocked off a (laughs) second listener. What? Triple team. We're getting to the to to, to my last. <laughs> I'm running out. This is my this is my last listener that I that I at least that I brought. I'm just getting warmed up. Uh, this is uh, now we're going into Robert's fears. Uh, I'm afraid my therapist will die suddenly. I'll never find another one with his skill and understanding regarding the baggage I have, and I'll end up stuck, never growing and unwinding again as I started to when he was there for me. I'm scared people will realize I've been lying about my height for years. <laughs> I'm afraid my stress will eventually give me cancer and end my life early. I'm scared that my mom will kill herself. I'm afraid I'll get a stroke when I'm older and not be able to get an assisted suicide. My last years will go on painfully, incapacitatedly, with my brain barely there and my life a huge drain emotionally and, turning page, emotionally and financially on my family. I'm scared my dad will keep riding his bicycle despite his terrible eye spasms and crash his bike. And I'm also terrified to have voiced this concern out loud because God might punish me even though I'm not sure my conception of God includes this kind of punitive bullshit. 
oh my, I am in the presence of a master. Listen, anxiety is to me what the 100 meter is to Usain Bolt. <laughs> I, I own it. You are, you are, uh, I'm in the presence of greatness. Uh, Robert says, uh, I'm afraid humans have shifted to the, un- and he's pretty fucking good he's too, good. I have to say. And so is Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, Fats, Ro- Robert- I like to call her. <laughs> Robert- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Robert says, I'm afraid humans have shifted to the, un- to the unconscious goal of mastering, mastering and dominating nature rather than living in harmony with it. And it's made us more of a cancer to earth than a healthy presence. And before we get a chance to change, civilization will kill its host with human life as we know it, plummeting from the face of the earth a whole lot faster than we ever realized was possible. Well, this is germane to his fear. I'm scared that as a writer, I will never quite get to the point and say exactly what I mean. That's good. But I can tell you from your book that couldn't be more wrong. Your book has so many great, great insights and very eloquently phrased. Um, everything else you did in life is shit, but that is... <laughs> that is my one <laughs> moment. Uh, Robert says, I'm afraid of being alone. I'm scared I won't have another child and my son will have no one to play with but me and drive me nuts. <laughs> I'm deathly afraid of getting a kidney stone. I'm scared that in those moments that parenting isn't totally joyful, my son will somehow sense I want to be elsewhere. You have won, Teresa Strasser. Hold, you defeated I, three listeners. I have like 10 more. Do you really? You want to hear them? Yeah. I'll go through yeah, them let's just Let's go and boom, boom, boom. I'm scared I will outlive my husband. I'm scared I won't be able to afford private school or that I'll pick out the wrong one and that my son will either be a gangbanger or worse, some Waldorf school kid who discovers <laughs> fractions through the majesty of shaved toys and expresses his feelings through trumpet solos. I'm afraid of using a word incorrectly and looking stupid. I'm afraid of always looking just a little bit pregnant. I'm afraid of getting the same outer thigh spread that is common to all of my aunts. I'm afraid that I only understand what's truly important in life when I have extreme life or death experiences. I'm afraid that all of my epiphanies are Teflon. They don't stick and they never will. I'm afraid I will text or check email with the baby in the car and have an accident. And police records will show that I was deleting an email from Target.com when I was T-boned by an (laughs) 18-wheeler. I'm afraid other moms look at me with my son and think, what the fuck is she doing? Something doesn't seem right. I'm afraid that being really, truly... Wildly rich is actually super amazing, but I will never know. I'm afraid that I don't know how to maintain my friendships with women very well. I'm scared that I'll never be able to sleep like a normal person without any kind of medication. I'm afraid my brother's cancer will come back or that he is suffering quietly with the symptoms he has and not saying anything. I'm afraid my mother will die without ever seeing my child again because she is so stubborn and I am so resentful. I'm afraid I share too much, but don't do it with enough finesse or lyricism to make it worthwhile. Last one. I'm afraid my bangs were a bad idea. Went for Zoe Deschanel, got Dumb and Dumber. (laughs) (laughs) Teresa fucking Strasser. Wow. Wow. I thought you were going to bring it a little harder uh, with the fears. You know what? I underestimated you. But I I mean, I stopped here at 46, but I could keep coming. This is my distance. Remember when Usain Bolt was running and he took the time to look back? Taking fractions of us, like adding, yes. and he was like, "I don't fucking care because yeah. I'm so fucking fast. Yeah, I can stop and turn around. And you know what? Maybe yeah. I'll even like yeah. give a peace sign or something. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Because he could spare it. Because yeah. that you probably could have riffed on fears while getting a massage. Oh, no problem. Yeah, no, like doing something completely relaxing. Yeah, said, I could be on nine Xanax and still." in the pit of my stomach could find a little butterfly. Yeah. 
Wow, that was uh so uh you want to go or go out let's oh, let's yeah. fade let's fade out on a regret yeah off. things that we will regret so we don't have to worry after this yes uh i will kick it off i regret that i injected uh uh too much of myself into the podcast oh my god that's the best yeah i kind of um uh regret that i didn't let you talk enough and didn't follow up enough on things you said um, I regret that I will get in the car and realize that I forgot to ask you uh, a question that I absolutely wanted to ask you. Shit, should we do a bonus where you ask me that one question? <laughs> Is there actually I don't a specific know. No, oh, just in isn't. general that'll yes, pop? Yeah. Oh, I see. I suppose I see. that's a fear more that's than a That's more of a fear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I regret um, a lot of times lately since um actually i had this before having a kid but i think it's because of maybe the clonopin i take to help me sleep mm-hmm. when i'm grabbing for a word when i'm writing i don't have a problem but when i'm speaking i don't often grab the right word it's mm-hmm. like i'm on the monkey bars and i miss it mm-hmm. so i regret that i stumble for word i'm going to regret mm-hmm. but not anymore cuz i'm saying it right. i stumbled a little today didn't that, i i didn't feel that um, I don't have any more regrets. I don't either. You'd think that I would regret crying and shit, but I think yeah. it's okay. I was really touched by that. I was really, really touched. I mean, I, uh, I'm glad. Here's a non-regret. I'm glad I didn't fuck it up by saying anything because I wanted to, part of me wanted to, when you were crying, I don't know. I, I, I felt like I wanted to say something. I don't know what it was that I wanted to say, but I was just so, um, just move, just completely moved. I, I, you know, the vulnerability when people come on this show and they and they open up in a really deep, honest, vulnerable way. It is like that that feeling you described when you 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 suddenly realized where your priorities were and you felt like you were vibrating at the frequency you're meant to be vibrating at. That moment when you were crying is I just I just felt that just that. This is exactly where I'm supposed to be in the universe. And that to me, to me, life is I'm just trying to string as many moments together where I don't question where I am and what I've done. And this last hour and a half, this may sound cheesy, this is an hour and a half where I absolutely know this is where I was supposed to be. You were supposed to be my guest and everything that happened was exactly as it should be. And it just, I feel great. Thank you for having me. Teresa Stresser. That's your new name. <laughs> Thanks again to uh, Teresa Strasser for that great interview. Thanks to my wife, Carla, for uh, all her support and uh, feedback on the show. Thank you guys for the feedback you give me through uh, through the website. Um, thanks for the emails. And um, thanks to the guys that help keep the spammers out of the forum. And um, just remember, if you're stuck, you're not a piece of shit. The world is not passing you by. And uh, I, I, I hope that you can string some moments together where you don't question where you are and to feel okay with whatever is happening in your life. You are not alone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.